0: Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I'm Katie Heysen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insight from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Natalia. She is the head of the Agritech and Cleantech programmes at the GSMA, the association representing the worldwide mobile communications industry. Natalia is overseeing the portfolio of projects across Africa and Asia, including research as well as investment decisions and implementation of support to some of the GSMA's 750 members and partners. She has been working on mobile solutions for rural segments and environments since 2010 designing and leading on a variety of programs at the GSMA over recent years. Prior to working for the GSMA, Natalia has worked for the mobile operator Megafon in Russia, specializing in mobile value-added services. She holds an MBA from the University of Oxford, an MS in economics from the University of St. Petersburg in Russia. Natalia, welcome. Thanks, Katie. Very nice uh, being here with you today. Natalia, I would love to know a little bit more about your role at GSMA. Yeah, thank you for this introduction. I think you've covered a little bit of that. But
1: to explain properly to the audience why GSMA is involved in the social impact project, I have to say that we have been working with the mobile industry for a number of years on regulatory issues and technology standards. And then about 10 years back, we understood that actually we have access to this fantastic network of mobile operators who are reaching the most underserved and the poorest people on the planet. And these are the same people that the development community was trying to reach for a number of years. And of course, those programs have limited sustainability and the scalability of Uh, Such programs is also a question. So we understood that actually our unique position as a mobile industry association is to bring the private sector into the conversation about international development and make sure that they have business incentives to launch products and services for their customers that can have social impact. So that's what we have been working on for about 10 years now. And we have a specialized department called Mobile for Development Department within GSMA. So if you want to learn about the range of the work that we do from energy and sanitation to financial inclusion, agriculture, and digital identity, please have a look at the Mobile for Development GSMA website rather than our traditional GSMA branded website. So in terms of my role specifically, so you you did mention in the introduction that the head of AgriTech program, which is correct, yes, I have been involved in digital health projects for about four years. And now I'm also looking at the opportunity for the digital technology to help with the environmental monitoring and environmental impact, as well as how we can Optimize the supply chain practices in the mobile industry to reduce the environmental impact and the aspects connected to that, such as e-waste or green energy for the telecom stations. But my, my core, core focus and, and the work that I've been doing for over nine years at GSMA is around agriculture. And I'm working with a team of about 14 people at GSMA. We have a very diverse international group of experts and very, very patient and interesting, ambitious people who are working with the private sector companies, our mobile operators, um, digital companies in the ecosystem, innovators, and agribusinesses to formulate, design, Test, improve, and and launch solutions that improve equitability of their food chains.
0: So, mobile technology is often banded around as a silver bullet to many social problems. For those who are unfamiliar with the impacts and possibilities of mobile, could you just share an example or two for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really difficult to, to keep an eye on all the innovation that is happening in developing markets, while actually it is fascinating portfolio of work and very often such solutions they leapfrogging things that we are used to here in, in more developed world So examples that I would like to provide are more related to the agricultural work but I want to say there are millions of interesting stories on GSMI mobile development website if you want more So the first example I want to give is is very very basic conceptually. And people were trying to make mobile messaging work for farmers in developing markets for over 10 years now. And we are very proud of one of our mobile operator members and partners for AgriTech program, Telenor Pakistan. We have worked with them with different funding, actually, over a number of years and With the support that they have received in terms of grant funding as well as technical assistance, Telenor Pakistan has managed to put together a fantastic team of very passionate and very skilled uh, people in Pakistan within the main business, not within the CSR department or any kind of smallish initiative like that, but they have set up an agricultural unit within mobile operator, and have recruited a dedicated team and established a very ambitious set of KPIs and launched a flagship service for the agricultural segment, which is called 7272, just because then the numbers that you need to dial as a farmer to access the service are 7272. So this is a service that is currently available to over 8.5 million customers in Pakistan, which is uh, pretty significant. And I want to say to the audience, which is skeptical, because I'm one of the skeptical people, when I hear the numbers around the total customer base, over 80% of these customers are active on a monthly basis, which is a fantastic achievement from Telenor team. They managed to create a super interactive and very simple service of farmers who might not be literate, might not be able to read the text messages, but who understand the local languages. And they can, of course, speak and, and listen to the voice messages or to the show of experts that they can dial into through their mobile phone. And they receive information dedicated to today specific agricultural problems and this information is specific to the uh, agroclimatic zones and available within their local languages so this is something very simple but if you think about it it's very difficult to create a customized and scalable service at the same time and that's what Telenor Pakistan team was able to do very well We have seen the results of access to such essential service for farmers because we've been doing monitoring and evaluation on this project. And we can see that the power users, those who access and use the service on a monthly basis, they're two to three times more likely to make changes and start using more efficient and productive practices in their farming. And as a result, they are more likely to see the increase in their income which is ultimately the objective of the services that we are working with our partners on. And the other example I want to give is from Africa, and uh, this is the service called uh, Sun Culture. Sun Culture is the solar-based irrigation system for smallholder farmers, and uh, it's innovative on so many levels. If we were to think about a specific African context, 91% 91% of all agricultural land in Africa is dependent on the rain. So it's a rain fed agriculture, which means that with the changing climate that we're experiencing right now, the rains are less and less predictable and farmers need more modern ways of managing irrigation. And here come the irrigation system. However, for most farmers, investing in the irrigation system is prohibitive because they don't have access to financial services. They don't have those savings immediately available. This is something out of ordinary for a smallholder to be able to afford. And what Sunculture team did, they used the innovation from the pay-as-you-go energy space, and they have applied it to irrigation. So the farmer can pay as they use the system, and they repay the system using their mobile money. And if they do not pay on time, the solar-based irrigation system is just not working. So here is a direct incentive for them to be paying back the cost of the asset. But the good thing is that they can start using the system straight away without having to save for it for a number of years. And that was the main problem other irrigation providers have struggled with. And I think we all remember the Kickstarter. A while back, we which were incentivizing farmers to save for the pump. But of course, if we can provide access to assets and uh, allow farmers to pay or start paying as they use them, that dramatically increases the accessibility and affordability of such products to smallholders. And that wouldn't have been possible without mobile money channel, as well as ability to monitor such product remotely for for the company that actually provides such irrigation.
0: Um, what parts of your work as head of the GSMA's agritech program are you most excited about? I'll give a couple of examples. So One of them
1: is around traceability in the food chains. And honestly, I think that might be one of the major vehicles of change that we want to see in the world in the 21st century. As more and more consumers become aware of the impact of their consumer behavior and the foods that they decide to buy and the diet choices that they make, they want to make sure that the money they spend, they empower the right practices and they're reaching the people who are actually producing such food. But it is impossible to convert such consumer awareness in actual change in business practices if the food companies don't know where the produce is coming from. Who are these farmers? Have they been using uh, excessive pesticide? Or maybe they have been organic farmers. Are they fair trade farmers? Are they using child labor or not? We don't know for sure in many cases where uh, the products and the food products in particular are coming from. Because the traceability in the informal in economy at the very, very last mile of, of this food chain like, is very, very difficult. And that's what we're working on right now with multiple angry businesses, such as, let's say, cocoa or tea procurement companies that actually source from smallholders, but the traditional practices are very gray. And this sourcing might be happening on paper, or there might be no documentation at all. And what we're doing is we use the mobile channel for such last mile procurement where farmers actually receive the communication on their mobile phones about the upcoming procurement, about the standards that they need to follow. They receive digital receipts as well as sometimes backup paper receipts because such behavior change is very difficult. Such receipts are backed up by digital scales, and suddenly such agribusinesses not only empower the smallholders by giving them the the fair, transparent price for for their produce, but they also understand who are the most loyal farmers, and they can start investing more in such producers and upskilling them as well as linking them with financial services. So such Push for traceability and transparency. I think is absolutely essential from the consumer end. Luckily, we see more and more agribusinesses feeling such pressure, especially the ones that export produce from developing markets to international markets. And we are helping them to go digital and go transparent, while empowering the small and optimizing this communication with them, as well as using mobile channels for payments and establishing digital profiles for farmers that can be used for financial inclusion. So this area is of absolute importance to us, and that's our key focus for the next four years. We currently are running an innovation fund, the GSMI Anchor Attack, and we hope that next year we will have eight projects which happen in developing markets across Asia and Africa that demonstrate how such digital channels, digital tools, and mobile in particular can be used for increased traceability and for empowering the smallholders at the end of the food chain. If I was to give another example, which I'm very, very passionate about, I'm just slightly skeptical on how much I can explain it over the interview, but I'll try. It's a very innovative area. We're working with a number of mobile operators right now in Africa and Asia. To get access to the network data. And the network data that all of them have, sometimes, you know, like we would think about it as, you know, like the number of towers and how many customers were making the calls from a certain area. But in reality, there is a very specific data that all of them hold about the strength of the signal. And magically, it happened so that the strength of the signal was really dependent on the rain. So if there was heavy rain or just any rain in certain area, the strength of the signal between two base stations probably went down. And that means that more power was required to establish and um, keep such such signal between two base stations. And what we found out is that we can actually use such data from the mobile operators to recreate or sometimes create for the very first time the rainfall monitoring maps for the country. And I don't think of how many people on, on this channel are aware of the problems with the accurate uh, weather records in developing countries, but it is an absolute gap. We're thinking about meteorological stations as being kind of the key means of recording weather data but actually in the developing markets, they are the network of such meteorological stations is very, very scarce, which means that the maps of historical rainfall, they either don't exist or they're just inaccurate or they're not covering the microclimatic zones. And what we can do now with the rainfall maps that we can establish for the very first time, that that becomes the basis for the future climate resilient products the most basic example of that is weather forecast. If you can create accurate weather forecast, because now you have historical records, you can actually empower smallholders to make accurate decisions. And with every year and every single project, every single research we do, we do see that farmers struggle with the climate change and they really struggle to understand when to plant and when to harvest and when to irrigate because the rain pattern stopped being predictable. So they Accurate weather forecasts, as well as weather-specific products, such as climate or weather insurance, is the next big thing for farming communities. And in order for us to provide such products at scale and at the quality that's required, we do need accurate rainfall monitoring. So you can find more, again, on, on our website, and I do if, if everyone is as excited as I am about, about this specific area, but I find this completely fascinating, that the fact that we can cover the gap that was out there in the market for such a long time.
0: Yeah, totally incredible, Natalia. I mean, that's big data really at the cutting edge. You hear this word banded around loads, but actually big data in reality is huge amounts of historical data that really could create climate and weather information going back through the years. It's like the sort of satellite data, you know, when the Americans sent up their military satellites and suddenly you've got really amazing maps that we've never had before The sort of knock on effect from technology, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I think we're absolutely excited about the potential to combine the two technologies together. The mobile and the satellite together, I think, can make dramatic change because we do need satellite for observations, but mobile as a source of ground truth, as well as for delivery of services is essential as well. So we're now uh, really actively thinking about partnerships with the UK Space Agency and other satellite players out there. And uh, if if you are one of those satellite players, please come to us because we're very excited about potential for insurance and other climate resilient products for smallholders.
0: And that really kind of leads me actually onto the next question, which is, is obviously these are super exciting, really innovative spaces. I mean, what do you see as the greatest opportunities for businesses to fight poverty, I guess, through mobile technology?
1: I feel like we, we're so much more aware about the impact of agriculture in terms of the poverty reduction, but also the impact of agriculture on climate change, and as well as how much agriculture is dependent on climate And I feel like that increased use of digital technology for that transparency of the impact that our food chains actually have is something very new. And I do feel that we as businesses can use digital technology to optimize the traceability and transparency in our supply chains, even beyond food, even beyond agriculture. I feel like digital can really help us understand whats the impact we are creating, and we should definitely be using that
0: opportunity. Thank you. Message to all those who are part of businesses listening to this <laughs> podcast today. And I guess that's you know business fights poverty. We're a global network of around 25,000 people from business, social enterprises, NGO, policy, academia, who all care about impact. What would be your call to action for those who are listening? I am at risk of being slightly controversial. I think the, this, my more personal
1: message would be to to think more holistically. We as may have been looking at social impact that can be achieved with the use of mobile technology for 10 years. And now in the midst of climate crisis, we start thinking differently. Have we overlooked what's the environmental impact of the projects that we are funding the projects we are supporting. And I I do feel that like there is a new wave of awareness happening at individual level, but we need to bring this awareness at the institutional level as well, which means that we do need to look at our portfolio and say, what is the environmental aspect of my program? Yes, I am investing in improved productivity of farmers, but what is the environmental practices that I can be encouraging through my programs, not at the expense maybe of that core objective, but something that can complement my my program or my product or the service. And I think that that's the change we really need to see right now from the business community. We do feel that the social impact that we can be creating and focusing on right now might be very short-lived if we don't address climate crisis. If that problem is not solved, all our short-term or medium-term positive effects on the poor will be not sustainable because the poorest are the ones that are going to be hit by the climate change the most. And we're seeing this a lot happening with the smallholders. So they're the most unprotected vulnerable people and they're the ones who have almost no access to any sort of social protection or even insurance mechanisms. So even if we do improve, and I I think we're working on that, improve the, the social impact and the disregard the environmental impact we are creating we will just have to be putting more money in uh, with every single year into solving the social problems. So, yeah, I think that's my message to the community for each individual to think about how can I integrate in the environmental thinking into the work that I do. Maybe I can start small and think about an additional environmental KPI that I can have in my monitoring evaluation. Maybe it's my company's climate policy. Maybe it is what I'm asking from the suppliers to show me when I, before I, I construct them. Like we all have this, this power to, to integrate more sustainability thinking into what we do.
0: Um, my final question today I've heard you call yourself an, a social innovation expert and an impatient change maker. What does that mean? And what would be your advice to others who are looking to make social impact or environmental impact through their work?
1: It was a very, so far, professional interview in terms of what I do at GSMA and, you know, what kind of examples we see of digital technology changing the world. Maybe it's an opportunity to explain a bit more of my personal perspective. So I'm Russian by background. I'm also British right now. Uh, After living in in the UK for a number of years, and uh, I am a mission driven person. I think that's probably what I mean by saying I'm a social innovation expert and impatient change maker. When I was working for a corporate, I was volunteering on the side because I believe that I do have time on this planet to make a change. And if I'm working for a large business that at that time didn't have social or environmental mission and I am still responsible for how I'm spending my time and my waking hours. So when I have done my my MBA, I actually wanted to transition to environmental or social impact work and I was very lucky to work for an organization that actually has this vision that they can use the business assets and the network of professionals as well as the brand to make a change, but I know that not all of us are in that position. So for me, it is about being true to yourself. You, if you are a mission driven person, you need to find opportunity to make that change and might be big or small. It's either you doing something on the side, whether it's volunteering or mentoring or supporting social enterprises in your local community or it has been an intrapreneur and, and driving change within the company where, where you are at the moment. Even being an GSMA and being an advocate for digital agriculture for, for a number of years, I still have seen that we haven't been as focused on environmental impact of our work. And it took me several years to convince the company that we need to start looking at the um, sustainable digital supply chain of our members. So, we finally set up a program, which is called the Clean Tech Program, which that will be supporting our members on the best practices in terms of e waste and green energy and grid networks. So, I, I feel like, you know, I'm combining a few of those in, actually in my work, like being mission driven in personal life and Just knowing where and and what kind of lifestyle choices I'm making and and how it impacts the world, but also choosing the jobs based on where I can make the most impact, as well as institutions within a larger organization identifying opportunities for improvement at institutional levels and not giving up in terms of creating the business and the social case for that work. So, yeah, I hope I answered the question. And I feel like the community members that you have, they all have opportunity to lead by example. And if they represent institutions and companies, they do need to understand the power they hold with the budgets that they have access to. Because we all have suppliers, we all have internal policies, and some of us do provide funding and grants to the companies out there. So within each of those, every time you do spend money as an organization, you can actually be much more careful in terms of what am I supporting? What kind of practices am I supporting? Who are my suppliers? Do they have environmental mandate? Or, you know, I'm just going for like an easy, low-hanging fruit. So I think we can all learn more from Patagonia example that is actually working with its suppliers to Create that change, and I would definitely recommend the book uh, Let My People Go Surfing, which was very, very inspirational for me in terms of how you can use the business as a vehicle for environmental change, not just uh, social change.
0: Natalia, thank you so much for sharing your personal journey, your insights, and innovations today. And for everybody listening, we'll put all the links to the books and websites that Natalia has mentioned uh, during this podcast into the notes that go alongside. Natalia, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.